Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Chuck Davidson, the president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce on the Churchill deal. Dave Patrician, the sports doctor, will talk bomber football with him. Daniel Gurevich, La Burger Week ambassador, and also on the podcast, Elaine Spovich, author of John McCain, American Maverick. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now let's get at the podcast. Love to hear from you on a multitude of issues on the table here, including a deal for Churchill that came down late Friday. Here's Churchill Mayor Mike Spence. This is the deal. I'll tell you, this is what we've been working towards. The whole regional ship partners, the the partner with Fairfax EGT, and with the government of Canada. This is great news. This is historic. This community's been so been so solid, it's been so strong. It's been it's been challenging. It's been difficult. A lot of stress. You know, some of the folks I've just talked to are just just so happy, so pleased, and and very excited about a bright future. And Manitoba MP Jim Carr reacts to the agreement. This is an historic agreement for many reasons, but maybe the most important of all is that Indigenous peoples are part of the buying group. And also the Fairfax AGT uh, persons involved, uh, it's not only the restoration of rail service, but also uh, the restoration of the port itself, which we think is very important. So uh, the rail line is going to get fixed, and as far as we know, work on that will get going this week, we're told. Chuck Davidson, President and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, joining us on the phone. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Hi, that's what I wanted to talk to you about is what Carr said at the end there. This isn't just about the rail line. This is about the Port of Churchill. And this is something you and many others have wanted to see, right? A deal that goes beyond just repairing that rail line. Well, that's exactly it, because I think one of the things to take into consideration in the rail line is key, obviously. uh, But that port, I mean, when you're looking in terms of having a a deep sea port in the middle of Canada, mm-hmm. uh, one that has been underutilized for the last number of years and looking at the opportunity to revitalize that, to look at new opportunities. I think having a partner like AGT Foods is a is a perfect mix as well. Uh, there's going to need to be some investment put into that port. If anyone's ever been up there and, and seen it, this is a 90-year-old building at least uh, that has seen a lot better days. So some investment in that, some opportunities around that, uh, because I think one of the things that you're looking at as well is with a, uh, you know, one of the benefits of, of global warming, and most will say that there's not a lot, but is that the sea ice, uh, there's a longer shipping season in right. Churchill now. Uh, from about 15 years ago, you're probably looking at an additional 15, two weeks to, uh, to, to almost a month of the shipping season. So there's opportunities that exist up in Churchill. It's really just now having that group putting together the business case and looking at some of those opportunities to really revitalize that as well. It does kind of seem like the timing might be right for this, Chuck, but you talked about investment. This is going to take government dollars, isn't it? And are there government dollars, do you think, there for a project like this? Well, I think in terms of, and and I think that the nice thing with this project as well is because you do have Fairfax and AG2 as well in there, and you do have the consortium of 
of the Northern communities and the First Nations all investing in this. So uh, obviously there's going to need to be, and there will be some, uh, some, some federal and most likely some provincial government dollars as well, but, but how can you really leverage that and put together strong business cases that are going to make the most sense and get the biggest bang for taxpayers' dollars that could potentially be used in this regard? So I think that's a little ways down in terms of determining uh, what kind of investment is going to be needed in the port. Uh, but more of a long-term strategy for that, I think, is going to be critical. Obviously, the, the first step is getting the rail line back up and operational. Uh, that's going to have a significant impact just in regards to uh, the movement of goods and services. I mean, most people and business owners that I've been up and talked to over the past year and a half, uh, they've been looking at increased cost of being able to get goods and services up there three to four times what it normally would have been yeah. uh, had the rail line been in place. So that's, that's a significant dollar figure that's going to be addressed early on. You know, I felt bad for the people of Churchill and actually people all in that area of the province because it's not just Churchill, it's that it's that whole area up there. I really do think that they felt abandoned and I think those were feelings that they were justified in, in having. I really hope we've turned the corner on this. You're the president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Were you watching in horror this whole time the way I was or how are you reacting to this lack of action well and then it really was challenging because i'd been up there a number of times and met with business owners and i was up there the last time that minister carr was up there as well and you could hear it just even in the in the mayor's comments uh that you had on before minister cars i actually had a chance to have a discussion with uh, uh mayor spence earlier this morning and it's just that sense of relief uh and that the, the many times that i've been up there and I've, and I've talked to the business owners and the mayor and council there was just this level of frustration, like it was something that was beyond that they had no control over. Uh, and now that it's got to this point where a deal is in place, they've got a stake in, in regards to the future of the rail line and the future of the port, there's a greater sense of optimism. Because over the past 18 months, you saw businesses close down, you saw people leave Churchill, uh, they just didn't see hope. At least there is a sense of hope in the sense of optimism moving forward that there wasn't there before, because I think uh, there's huge opportunity in Churchill uh, outside of just the tourism in terms of a, a looking at it as a, a sort of a main port to be able to, to move goods and services uh, to the far north as a real opportunity that we've lost in the past five to 10 years uh, to both Montreal and, and, to, and to Ottawa, that I think we could potentially start uh, to develop to develop some some business strategies and some plans to to get some of that business back to make this a real uh, opportune time for Churchill and the North. What else can you tell us about your conversation with Mayor Spence this morning? Relief that a deal has finally been done, but what does he see for the future of Churchill? Well, I think first off, there you know the indication is that the rail line work will start immediately. Uh, the fact and, and the most important thing that I think the mayor and a lot of the uh, northern community see is that they now have a stake in, in this. Uh, that they're no longer uh, beholden to uh, another company uh, that has, you know, in terms of uh, looking at the way they're doing business. Right. But they now have some input into how this is going to move forward and what's going to be in the best interest, not just Churchill, but all the northern communities, as you mentioned, because that rail line goes all the way from the Paw through Thompson, uh, Gillum, all these various communities uh, have been affected by this in terms of the movement of goods and people and services. Uh, so I think it's really just a sense of optimism that that now that uh, it's almost like a clean slate, uh, they realize there's a lot of work to be done. This isn't going to uh, this isn't going to necessarily just uh, you turn a switch and, and everything is good. It's going to take a lot of work, uh, but they're committed to moving forward. 
Uh, I think the federal government has been committed with them as well. The provincial government, uh, we need to get them uh, more committed as well in terms of north, but they have been part of obviously the Look North strategy that I've been sharing as well. So uh, there's, there's, there's no question that there's a commitment and there's a realization that northern Manitoba uh, is important to an overall Manitoba economy. You know, uh, yeah, they're not on the outside looking in anymore. As you said, they've got a stake in this now, and they feel like they have uh, at least uh, some control. And, and you being the president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce, this is another example where business people, uh, people in the community, but led by business people, get in there, get involved, and get it done. Well, and that's exactly it, and I think that's what's critical is that you know, for too long, I think, and, and a lot of Northerners, and this is something that I've really learned over the past 18 months, they've waited for either large corporations, they've waited for various levels of government to fix problems for them. And I think they're getting past those days now, and they're realizing that they need to be part of the solution in terms of figuring out how do we fix this, how do we make sure that we have greater control over our future in terms of from an economic development perspective, and they're all willing to be a part of it now. You're just seeing that in communities like Flin Flon and Thompson, you saw that in the PAW, uh, recently as well with Trinity and Craft Paper, and now you're seeing it with all the communities coming together to to fix the rail line, to look at a long-term strategy for the port as well. So I think we're really turning a corner in terms of uh, looking at what those real opportunities for northern Manitoba could potentially be now, that northerners are really starting to take hold of it uh, and control of their of their future. I think it was on your Twitter feed, Chuck. Uh, I think you retweeted uh, a four-parter from the Premier, uh, Premier Brian Pallister, on how the province, his government, has stood behind Churchill through this. Uh, going forward, if it takes a financial commitment from the province, do you sense that that money is going to be there? Because let's face it, this government is is trying to watch its spending, not spend more. I, I, I do, and I, but I, I think, again, with this government, what they're always looking for is making sure there's the right project. And it's not just a case of um, we're, just, we're, we're asking for money. If there's the right projects that are in place that are going to have a strong return on investment uh, for northern Manitoba, I, my sense is the federal or the provincial government will come to the table, and they recognize that. Uh, they've been supportive through the Look North uh, process that we've been ongoing for the past 18 months. Uh, you're starting to see some signs in regards to some changes in policies uh, and regulations. Uh, we are going to be looking for further investment from them moving forward, and obviously the rail line to Churchill and any kind of northern infrastructure is going to be critical to that. Mm. But again, it's going to be, you know, as, as, as you know, you would expect with taxpayers' dollars going to be spent return on investment is important it's something that we would obviously want to make sure is in place but i think moving forward uh, a combination of the communities uh, in in regards to the the agt and fairfax as well being at the table uh, and as well as the federal government will help to lessen some of that impact that uh, in terms of the financial uh, that was going to be on the provincial government but i would expect them to be at the table chuck thanks for your time on a holiday monday i appreciate it anytime hal I'll give you the one highlight <laughs> from the Bomber game, the Labor Day Classic in Regina. Nichols, a little fake, and he'll throw it to the corner. Tompkins, touchdown. Ken Brell, Tompkins, touchdown, Blue Bombers. Now, that's not true. There was one other touchdown by our other quarterback, Chris Trevler. First and goal at the 10-yard line, and he'll fake a handoff, roll right, and throw it deep in the end zone. Darvin Adams... Catches it for a touchdown. Yeah, but it wasn't enough. It was not near enough. 
Dave Patrician, the sports doctor, joins us on the phone here to talk about it. Well, pretty discouraging uh, loss, eh, Dave? Discouraging, yes, Hal, but uh, definitely not uncommon. I think that's the Saskatchewan River Fighters' 36th victory compared to our 16 or 18 in the Labor Day Classic. Yeah, they've got twice as many wins in the Labor Day Classic as we do. Yeah, so, I mean, we do hold the edge on the Banjo Bowl, eight games to six. Uh, so we, I know this is a very familiar expression when you talk about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, wait till next week. But um, yeah, there was some. There was some good. There, there was some really good plays. There was some good stuff we saw last or Sunday from the Bombers. But uh, it just wasn't enough, and it just oh. there's just a missing spark and missing something that uh, that uh, they, I'm sure the coaching staff. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure it was a pretty quiet ride home, and and I'm positive these guys are in the offices today figuring out. Uh, how we can beat the Saskatchewan Rough Riders next week. And I feel good about beating them in the Banjo Bowl. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I keep saying, I feel good, I feel good. And I understand how some fans feel like the season is sort of slipping away. But listen, this is the CFL. If we win this week, you know, I mean, we have to start thinking about the crossover, but we are certainly are not out of a playoff spot in the West. But, you know... We do have to play better. We just we we have to play better. Period. And somebody said by text earlier, and it's it's not untrue. Somebody said, "Hal, when you've got a quarterback that's averaging less than two hundred yards a game, you know what the issue is." Well, it's it's one of the issues, Dave. The quarterback spot. Absolutely, and uh, you know, and I saw him lean in and complete a couple of passes yesterday. And we're talking about Matt Nichols, of course. And uh, so I was in the back of my mind wondering, is there still lagging effects on the injury from earlier in the season? But mm. uh, he still can unload it. There's just, you know, I think when, when, when he came back after, uh, after the first, uh, first few games that he missed and Chris Strebler took over, I think that we maybe caught a lot of teams off guard because, you know, we're, we're really, you know, hitting some, some trick plays and uh, really, really. But once people get back down and they can study what Paul Apolise is calling and what Mac Nichols is delivering, they, they come back and they come back a little harder. So uh, some of the magic has rubbed off. We've seen some, you know, in and outs, some of the receiver positions. So it's just a matter of getting into the playoffs. And, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and you and I sound the same sometimes. We sound like such homers. Like, I'm never a guy that's always wants to scream about to put the backup guy in. Um, the two interceptions yesterday really hurt. We're not going to yeah. lie about those, especially that. Uh, one of them that uh, people could say, well, I don't think that was uh, Matt Nichols' fault. You know, it's it's probably 75% correct. 25% said maybe he shouldn't have thrown into that coverage, which mm. allowed the ball to get tipped off and then them to take it back in. But, um, no, I, I, it, the, the season is not lost. The, it's it, it's still well in hand. Uh, we can get to the playoffs. We've yeah. we played tough against some teams. We've got some... One could say easier games coming up, you know, with Montreal coming after the Banjo Bowl. That being said, Montreal knocked off Ottawa on Friday, so uh, it's 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 not that bad. It's it, it, the sky with three losses in a row. It's easy for people to say the sky is falling, yeah. but uh, it's the tough teams, the good teams, fight through adversity. And uh, I, I, for one, I'm calling for a big, big bomber victory. Uh, this Saturday at the Banjo Bowl. I hope so. Our question of the day at cjob.com is, do you think the Blue Bombers can turn it around in the last third of the season? I say yes on this. Do you say yes, Dave? Oh, 100% yes. I, I, absolutely. We've got the team, we've got the talent, and we've got the resources. We can do that. We're in the minority. You and I are with 40%. 60% say no. They don't think the Bombers can turn it around in the last third of the season. I, I just think they can. There, there's still time 
to turn it around. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Do you get the sense, Dave, and, and I don't want to speak in generalities, but do you get the sense that some of the people that are screaming the loudest about the play of the Bombers and the play of Matt Nichols right now aren't really those diehard fans. They're kind of those fans that are in and out, or am I wrong about that? Because there's there's a couple guys on Twitter that are always on me about being a homer and stuff, and it's almost like their tweets are about being right and not being a fan. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we, we have a lot of that, not only for Winnipeg Blue Bomber fans, we have a lot of that with Winnipeg Jets fans. Uh, guys that, that I don't think they... I think they look for the the, 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 the glass half-empty guys, that's yeah. for sure. They look for the wrong – the stadium's in the wrong spot. Uh, we never win anything. Uh, we got bad management, bad coaching. Get rid because, of isn't, get isn't, rid of because isn't part of being a fan rooting for the team and being a believer even when they're not playing great? Yes, 100%. I know that that, that grates on you a little bit when you we haven't won the Great Cup since 1990 and, and now in a nine-team league. And – but I mean, we have a we have a good team. We have good fans. We got a great facility. Uh, we've got a great legacy. You know, we've got guys in our coaching staff that are you know Hall of Fame guys. Guys that are going to be you know Paul Apolis could be a head coach anywhere else somewhere. There's and, and you know Richie Hall was a tremendous player. But there's just something right now that just just we're lacking a piece of the puzzle. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger. Is I'm sure that everybody's going to phone in with their suggestions uh, tomorrow at 705 yep. for the coaches show at Mike Gaucher. And that's but, great, uh, and they should, and they're fans. They should be able to express yeah. their opinion. I just think sometimes you just you just got to be with the team, period. Did you happen to see Tina LaPolice's Instagram post? No. And Twitter? No, tell me she's about wearing, it. She, she's wearing a T-shirt that says, my husband doesn't care what play you think he should call. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I did not see that. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, and one thing, you're talking about um, Burger Week? Yes. Um, I was, was going to ask you if you've checked any of them out. Schwarmacon on uh, Friday before the Cheap Trick concert. Yeah. They've got it. Uh, I, I don't even know what the, what the name of it was. I think it was the first guy that had it because they just put the signs out. And that was my first uh, first venture into uh, Burger Week, Le Burger Week, as right. they say. And uh, it was fantastic. Schwarmacon in the Exchange District. It was tremendous. Excellent. Dave, thanks a lot. You can find Dave, the Sports Doctor, on Twitter. You can follow him at the Sports Doctor. That's at the Sports Doctor on Twitter. Dave Patrician. Thank you, sir. Got to go. Thanks, Al. It is also La Burger Week. La Burger Week in Manitoba and everywhere else. Although here in Winnipeg, we really get into this Burger Week thing. Daniel Gurovich joins us on the phone now. He is La Burger Week ambassador, one of them. And uh, Daniel, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Hal. How are you doing today? Great. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time on a, on a holiday Monday especially. So why oh, no does problem. why does Winnipeg get into this Burger Week so much? It happens, uh, well, all over the place, right? It started in Montreal. Correct, yeah. So it started in Montreal seven years ago. Six years ago in Winnipeg, we, uh, we uh, brought it here. So that was uh, me and my, uh, my sister and my brother-in-law, actually, that we uh, collectively organized the event here. And you know what? I think... I mean, it's a few reasons, honestly. Winnipeg loves to eat. We've got an amazing, amazing restaurant culture. Um, We've got so many restaurants per capita for our population here. I think that it's just... It's a perfect storm, and the burger's a great thing to, to get to get behind, I guess, as far as a food event is concerned. So, yeah. Yeah, and we love our burgers, and everybody can do it, I guess. 
Uh, but Absolutely. some of these burgers, yeah. some of these burgers are are crazy. Maybe talk about one or two of your favorites. Yeah, so you know what? I uh, I love them all. Honestly, I love the creativity that's coming out year over year. It's, yeah. uh, it's impressive that people can continue to, you know, get new ingredients in there. I saw Smitty's on Meadowwood was doing one with a pancake on top, so a little bit of a take <laughs> on their on their, their buttermilk pancake on top of the burger. Very cool. Um, Stella's actually Cafe did a, a breakfast burger as well. I think the buns are cinnamon buns, which is very interesting. So. Nice. Yeah, super into that as well. Um, you know, there's all sorts. Uh, Itchy Ben is doing a crab burger, as well as uh, one of the keys there is doing a, a soft shell crab burger, which is very cool as well. I know Agora Fine Foods is doing one with a double protein, so they've got, you know, a burger topped with porchetta. So, uh, you know, taking uh, taking that uh, that spin on it, which is very interesting. Miss um, Brown's is doing an Eggs Benedict burger, so they've got uh, a pork patty, actually, with uh, two eggs, their hollandaise sauce on top. Uh, the Oakwood is doing like an Italian feast on a burger, so it's actually topped with marinara and Alfredo sauce and a meatball. Uh, just, you know, all over the place. Uh, there's a Garbanzo's that did a calzone cross with the burger, which is very cool too. So, yeah, just um, tons of interesting ingredients coming out this year. It's, it's really awesome. What are the rules? Are there any rules for a restaurant going into La Burger Week? No, you know what? In the past, we've uh, we've done some limitations just to kind of make it interesting, let's say. But uh, this year, it's, you know... Do what you feel is best. Um, you know, the Gates on Roblin is doing a $100 burger. <laughs> the Roost is doing a $65 burger. There's $8 burgers on the menu, everything in between. Um, people can really just have at her, you know, vegetarian, different proteins, you know, tuna, uh, shrimp, you name it. It's it's all found there. So we really think that variety is, uh, is a strong, I don't know, I guess bonus within this competition, just uh, so everyone can, can try something different depending on what their tastes and tastes are like and what they want to do, right? All right, I got to ask, what's on the $100 burger? <laughs> so the $100 burger, I think, is a Wagyu beef burger with 24-karat uh, gold leaf. I know they did a truffle aioli on there, I believe, as well. Um, yeah, and then there was a few other ingredients that looked pretty wild, though. Um, I've seen a couple people that have tried it, and uh, I haven't tried it personally myself, but uh, apparently there's a huge thumbs up all around. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, <laughs> they're, they're going to the way other end of the spectrum, but that's awesome, you know. It's, uh, it's good. It keeps it interesting. Do you or uh, the other ambassadors or do you know of anybody that maybe goes around and, I mean, it can't be possible to eat them all, right? No, you can't do them all. But there's a few people I know, um, you know, on Instagram, uh, Betty Loves Burgers. She she just knocks it out of the park every year. I think she tried like 35 last year. She's she's going hard again this year. Uh, Carter Chen, another uh, local uh, Winnipegger here that uh, people will often see around social media. He goes very hard on it too. I think he's usually in the kind of four to five a day range. Um, wow. Yes. Some people just, you know, they really, they make a point of, of doing it. They make a plan of attack and their, uh, you know, their whole week is kind of focused around it. And, and we couldn't be more appreciative of, uh, of the folks that are giving it love. And even if you just try one throughout the week, you know, we, we love that too. It's amazing. Yeah. I was listening to the start here on CGOB this morning, Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And they were talking about how I think at the forks, there's three or four places that have a burger and yep. people were going in groups, ordering them all, cutting them up. And then you're trying all of them, you know? Uh, absolutely. You know, and, uh, and that's the beauty of it too. We want people to get out Hopefully get into new restaurants they haven't been to before, get out with friends, share, have a good time. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen videos of people taking burgers from one restaurant, taking them to others to let the owners try and sharing them that way. It's just, it's all, you know, it's all about the collaboration and the uh, feeling the love across all the different uh, spots in the city that are participating this year. So, And the winner will be crowned strictly based on who sold the most. Am I right on that? 
No, not actually sold. So what we encourage people to do is to go to LeBurgerWeek.com. Um, you know, there you're going to find obviously all the list of the restaurants, uh, their locations, their burgers, the description, the prices, etc. But you can also vote for your favorite burger online after you try. So you know, you, you try your burger, you go, you give a thumbs up to, or shout out, you know, to uh, your favorite ones, and then the person with the most votes gets the. Uh, I guess the People's Choice Award, you could call it. And, you know, I always stress it's a friendly competition. Sure. It's uh, just another component that we add to it. But, yeah, there, there's going to be a, a People's Choice Award that went to uh, Brazen Hall last year. And, and Newberger has won it a few years previously as well. So, you know, that's that's great. And then uh, we're also have got we've got some undercover taste testers in and throughout the city that will uh, we'll do some nods for some other categories like Most Creative and, and Healthiest Burger as well. So, yeah, look look out for those as well. We'll, we'll announce those on uh, charcoalcollaborative.com. That's my website. And, and also on thebergerweek.com. Very cool. Uh, you know, we're into music here in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Mm-hmm. We're also really into food. Why are we so into yeah. food here? You know, I think um, it's the kind of city that, I mean, especially in the wintertime, you know, it's good to hunker down and, and get a good meal. Um, and once again, just the, the you know, being in the, in the middle of the province, or sorry, in the middle of our country here in, in this province, I think that, you know, it's good to be able to rally behind certain things. Um, food being one of them, I think that we've always, you know, maybe if I can say got a bit of a chip on our shoulders as Winnipeggers. And I think food is one of those things that we've continually done very well. We've, we've had amazing restaurants come out of the city and continue to have them, winning all sorts of awards and recognitions, right? You know, not only Canada-wide, but worldwide, I would say. And, and uh, yeah, I think that everyone just gets behind it and, and does a great job at it. So, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that, the Winnipeg Culinary Scene gets behind an event like this, too. I think it's fantastic. Well, and then it's gone on from Burger Week to all these other weeks, right? Pizza, potato, I think there's even a potato week, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. There's some other people doing a few other weeks out there, too, that I've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, myself, personally, I run uh, I run Burger Week, and then, and then we also run uh, Poutine Week here in the city, so that'll be coming up in February. But, uh, yeah, you know, all sorts of uh, other ones popping up and, and people, uh, you know, doing their thing, which is great, too, right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just and you know, and you, and you look at all the different you know competitions that we got. We've got Many Fest that has all the uh, the food truck competitions. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we've got you know downtown. We've got our food trucks that come out every year, which is great. And yeah, it's uh, you know, it's great. I think uh, there's a lot of ways to celebrate food and and, uh, and you know the culinary scene in, in our city here. It's great. When does it wrap up, Daniel? How many more days have people got? Oh, so what are we? I don't know. I'm losing track of days already. Monday, well, Monday the third. Yeah, Monday. So yeah, you've got till Saturday, it's September first till seventh that you can go and try all the burgers. So, um, you know, we're uh, we're still going hard here. There's plenty of time. Um, you know, we're we're really thankful. Hoping it's going great all across the country too. You got to give a huge shout out to Saputo, which is our national sponsor too. They've been doing great things for us and. Uh, yeah, people people still got some time, so go check out the websites. Like I said, either charcoalcollaborative.com or theburgerweek.com. Also find us on Instagram. Make a plan. Go go check out some burgers, and hopefully you get your tummies full, right? Daniel, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it, Hal. Hope you guys have a great day. All right, you as well. Daniel Durovich, La Burger Week ambassador. Some of these burgers are crazy, like really crazy. Uh, if you listen to uh, uh, Macklin, McGarry, and McNabb this morning, to start here on CGOB, they were talking quite a bit about it. And uh, like the gold leaf one, you know, the $100 burger. And I don't know. Uh, you know, I think maybe pizza used to be my favorite. It's it's close between burgers and pizza. Wow. It's, uh, but some really cool burgers. La Burger Week continues until Saturday, as Daniel said. gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness.
the real thing, not cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice he gave so willingly, nor the opportunistic appropriation of those who live lives of comfort and privilege while he suffered and served. Megan McCain on Saturday paying tribute to her dad, Senator John McCain, and at the same time taking a shot at President Trump. Joining us on the phone, Elaine Spovich. She is a Washington reporter for Stateline.org, a nonprofit news site funded by the Pew Charitable Trust and the author of John McCain, American Maverick. Good afternoon, Elaine. Hi, happy to be here. Thank you for doing this. Let's start Saturday. I could not, it was almost three hours, but I could not take my eyes off the television. What a tribute to a great man. It was phenomenal. Um, There's only a few times in my memory in the United States where this many people have come together to honor one individual. Usually it's a president. Right. And this, this was a man who tried to become president twice and failed twice, and yet he remains in our political consciousness as one of the great leaders of our time. And Megan McCain did a great job paying tribute to her dad. Uh, I know she wasn't thinking this. Uh, The reporter in me was thinking, man, a star is born today. Yeah, there's a lot of speculation about what's next for Megan. Um, She probably, among all of his seven children, She probably wears the political uh, mantle best of all of them. Each of them embodies, I think, a part of their dad, including, of course, um, his namesake, Jack, who's um, a naval officer, and his number two son, Jimmy, who's in the Marines. Mm. But the political side of him, I think, is embodied in Megan, yeah. How did you come to write this book, John McCain, American Maverick? Well, it was a long story, but I had written a previous biography of him, and when the publisher was looking for someone to pen the words for this one, uh, they came across me, and needless to say, one thing led to another, and we struck a deal, and I wrote the words in the book. I have to say, as proud as I am of the words in John McCain, American Maverick, uh, you, you should look at the pictures. They're just amazing. What a life this man had from the moment he was born in what was then the Panama Canal Zone. You remember that? Uh, And to his eventual demise, he lived a stunning life. You know, and as we heard about his life on Saturday, most people hearing about a lot of the details for the first time, I couldn't help but wonder, will all of this change anything? You're a reporter in D.C., Uh, You know how split things are there and right across America, and we here in Canada watch, and we wonder if there will ever be the kind of reaching across the aisle again that John McCain was all about. Will that ever be again, Elaine? Uh, I hate to be a cynic because that ceremony was so uplifting and such a a, uh, callback to the past. But I don't see it coming anytime soon, honestly. Um, The United States, as you said, is so divided politically. Um, We have a leader who thrives on that division and stokes it. And I must say the opposition party doesn't do much to change that either. So I just don't see all of this wonderful coming together as nice as it was Mm -hmm. at the ceremony at the National Cathedral. I can't see, at least in the near future, it having much of a a lasting impact. I wish it would, but no. 
That's too bad. I, I sort of suspected that was going to be your answer, but I guess we can always hope, right? Because, I mean, I think that's in large part what John McCain was about, hope. Oh, indeed. Um, he was the most optimistic man alive. Uh, he was always, you know, when he gets through something, win or lose, like the presidential campaigns or a piece of legislation, mm. he would always turn to his staff and say, okay, what next? And he was always moving to the future, always looking to the future. Um, he liked nothing better than speaking to groups of young people and talking to them because he believed they were the future. His time was passing even before he got sick. His time was passing, but the future was coming. And some of the most eloquent words he spoke were at the various ceremonies that he attended at the Naval Academy, his alma mater, because he could look out of the out at the Corps of Cadets and see the future. Mm-hmm. You know, he had uh, President Bush uh, speak yep. there, and this was all planned by him ahead of time. He had President Bush speak. He had a President Obama speak, which a lot of people, including Obama, kind of really, but he was there. And <laughs> Megan took some real shots at President Trump in the White House now, didn't she? Yeah, she said America was always great. We don't need to be made great again because America was always great. And that brought spontaneous applause in a cathedral. And if you looked at the footage, I mean, it wasn't just civilians applauding. The guys in uniform were applauding. Republicans were applauding. Democrats were applauding. Ordinary folks were applauding. I do think, you know, in the next presidential election coming up, I think we need someone to talk about the greatness of America. If you remember, Ronald Reagan, when he won the first time, talked about America as a shining city on a hill. Occasionally, we need some uplifting rhetoric to sort of pull us out of the doldrums. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Barack Obama did that, and Ronald Reagan did that, and I'm looking for who might be the next one to do that. Please don't ask me who that's going to be, (laughs) because I have absolutely no idea. Well, and I I won't ask you that question, but boy, as you look at the two parties— The Republicans, I think, do have some rising stars. There are some on the Dem side, but they seem a little far left for a a run at president. The Dems seem a bit leaderless right now, don't they? Yeah, they they are. They um, never quite figured out how to deal with this phenomenon that we have leading the country right now, I don't think. And they are in search of someone to counter that. They really are. Elaine, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Elaine uh, Elaine Spovich is the author of John McCain, American Maverick. She is also a reporter in Washington for Stateline.org. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.